Welcome to From Cork with Love Adventure, the only programme from Cork, Ireland, in which you can hear what it's like to be Irish in Cork from the point of view of a totally unrepresentative man. This is Paul Amani welcoming you to the latest episode. In Moonbon Wood, one Sunday morning, I'm walking while reading, or continuing the reading of Wanderlust, A History of Walking, by Rebecca Solnit. And I've got to chapter 6, part 3, Inventing Scenic Tourism. And I'm going to continue while I walk through the woods with my dog Louis by my side. Scenic Tourism. The unhappy German traveller, Karl Moritz, who felt rejected in many point, at many points on his pedestrian journey, in fact encountered a plethora of walkers, though neither he nor his modern readers made much of them. He takes little note of the many people he saw walking from Greenwich to London. But he does say of London St. James's Park that what, quote, greatly compensates for the mediocrity of this park is the astonishing number of people who towards evening in fine weather resort here. Our finest walks are never so full even in the midst of summer. The exquisite pleasure of mixing freely with such a concourse of people who are for the most part well-dressed and handsome I have experienced this evening for the first time. Moritz, in fact, is exaggerating that walking is, is suggesting that walking is more genteel a pastime or more public a genteel pastime in England than in Germany. Even if travelling on foot is not, he is also revealing that he is a snob, which may be why he resented road walking's plebeian status. During his time in London, he also visited Raleigh and Vauxhall Gardens, Cousins of the Country Fair and the Modern Amusement Park. These popular sites offered music, spectacles, strolls and refreshments in a garden atmosphere, and both the gentry and the middle classes flocked there for evening amusements. Like modern strollers in Latin America, American plazas and parks, or any carnival or mall now, they were there to look at each other as well as the scenery. And the scenery was often augmented with orchestras, <sighs> pantomimes, refreshments and other diversions. Social prom- promenading was another aspect of a thriving culture of walking, whose more solitary moments developed in the private garden and park. The people of London are as fond of walking as our friends at Peking of riding, wrote Oliver Goldsmith in the guise of a Chinese visitor describing Vauxhall. One of the principal entertainments of the citizens here in summer is to repair about nightfall to a garden not far from town where they walk about, show their best cloths and best faces and listen to a concert provided for the occasion. Another significant aspect of Moritz's travels, by the way, I haven't a clue who Moritz was, 
was his visit to the famous cab- cavern in the Peak District of Derbyshire in northern England, not far from the lakes. Well, I never thought of Derbyshire as not far from the lakes, but I suppose it depends on what you mean by not far. Oh dear, here are some people. And they're walking the other way. Right, well, we don't have to put Louis on a lead. Significantly, there was already a guide in place to collect a fee and show him its marvels. Scenic tourism was coming into existence in the Peak District, the Lake District, Wales and Scotland. And just as the development of the English landscape garden had been surrounded by a flurry of descriptive poems and epistles, so the growth of tourism was encouraged and informed by guidebooks. Like modern guidebooks and travel narratives, these tell of what is to be seen and where to find them. Some of them, notably the work of the clergyman Willop Gilpin, also tell how to see. A taste for landscape was a sign of refinement, and those wishing to become refined took instruction in landscape connoisseurship. One suspects that the contemporaries who made Gilpin so influential a writer consulted him much the way later generations consulted guides on which fork to use or how to thank a hostess. For Gilpin wrote when the middle class was acquiring the hitherto aristocratic taste for landscape. A landscape garden was a luxury that only a few could create or use. But the unaltered landscape was available to virtually everyone, and more and more middle-class people could travel to enjoy it as the roads became safer and smoother and transportation became cheaper. Once again, Solnit is drawing attention to how important the safety feature, how important the roads becoming safer was to the advancement of walking. A taste for landscape was something to be learned, and Gilpin was many people's guides. Quote, she would have every book that tells her how to admire an old twisted tree, remarks Edward of the romantic Marianne in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. Critic John Barrell writes that there is a sense in which late 18th century England one can, in late 18th century England, one can say that the simple contemplation of landscape, quite apart from its expression in painting, writing, or whatever comes to be regarded as an important pursuit of the cultivated and almost in itself the practice of an art. To display a correct taste in landscape was a valuable social accomplishment, quite as much as to sing well or to compose a polite letter. The heroines of a number of late 18th century novels are made to display this taste with an almost ostentatious virtuosity. And not only the simple fact of having a taste for landscape or not, but also variations of taste within the general one are regarded by some novelists as legitimate indications of differences in character. Marianne Dashwood is asserting her romanticism with a taste for old, twisted trees, though she apologises for the fashionability of the taste. It is very true that admiration of landscape scenery has become a mere jargon. Everybody pretends to feel and tries to describe with the taste and elegance of him who first defined what picturesque beauty was. She too is speaking of Gilpin. 
who brought into common usage the word picturesque, which originally meant any landscape that resembled or could be perceived as a picture and eventually came to mean a wild, gnarled, rough, intricate kind of landscape. For Gilpin was teaching people to look at landscape as pictures. Nowadays his books give a sense of what a heady new pastime looking at landscape was and how much assistance was required. Gilpin tells his readers what to look for and how to frame it in the imagination. Of Scotland, for example, he declares, were it not for the general deficiency of objects, particularly of wood, in the Scottish views, I have no doubt that they would rival those of Italy. The grand outlines are all laid in, a little finishing is all we want. Which is to say that the new subject of Scottish terrain can be understood through comparison to both art and the already hallowed landscapes of Italy. I pause for a minute to look down into my favourite spot in these woods, which is dark now, covered in beech trees, which grow out of the side of, I was going to call it a ravine, probably best to imagine it as a ravine, although not a very deep one. Moss on the trees, gorgeous place. Oh, the dog is going down. Gilpin wrote guidebooks to many parts of England. Go on, Louis. Notably the Lake District, as well as to Wales and Scotland, enumerating the proper sites to visit. Others joined in. Richard Payne Knight wrote in his abominable but influential 1794 landscape, a didactic poem in three books, let us learn in real scenes to trace the true ingredients of the painter's grace. Like the taste for landscape, the emphasis on the pictorial and the existence of scenic tourism seem unremarkable things to present-day readers, and yet they were all invented in the 18th century. The poet Thomas Gray celebrated Lake District Tour of 1769 came two years after the first tourist came specifically to admire the scenery and write about it, and Gray wrote about it too. By the end of the century, the lakes were an established tourist destination, as they have remained since, thanks to Gilpin, Wordsworth, and Napoleon. English travellers who once might have gone abroad began to travel around their own island during the turmoil of the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars, Tourists travelled by coach, then train, and eventually car and plane. They read their guidebooks, they looked at their landscapes, they bought souvenirs, and when they arrived, they walked. Originally, the walking seems to have been incidental, part of the process of moving around and finding the best view. But by the turn of the century, walking was a central part of some touristic ventures, and walking tours and mountain climbing were coming into being. End of part three of chapter six. And the next one is about Jane Austen. It begins, the title is called Mud in Her Petticoat. I think we'll take a break and walk on.
walking into Jane Austen in chapter 4, or in part 4 of chapter 6, really pleases me for some reason. Let's see what, what Rebecca Solnit has to say. Although Jane Austen famously ignored the Napoleonic Wars in her novels, she pointedly addressed other topical subjects. In Northanger Abbey, she mocked the current taste for the Gothic novel with its macabre and unlikely thrills, and in Sense and Sensibility, she was almost as sarcastic about Marianne Dashwood's romantic views on love and landscape. Hi, hi. Later in her life... Pardon? Oh, he loves it. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> that came on me unexpected. Later in her life, she seems to have accepted the cult of landscape far more. And in her late novel, Mansfield Park, she more than once equates the heroine's sensitivity to natural beauty with her moral virtues. Her novels, with their genteel young women in rural circumstances, are also a wonderful index of the uses of the walk at the end of the 18th century and beginning of the 19th, and none so much as pride and prejudice. Now, there are people with a dog coming. Here, Louis, and this is a big white dog. Here. Come here. Come here. Now, here. Put this low. Here. Ah, 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 ah. Come on. Hmm. Now, now we can walk confidently in the direction of the other people. And as we approach them, the white dog is wagging its tail. I wonder what Rebecca Solnit has to say about people taking dog, dog walking. Because dog walking is a big part of the history of walking, I'm sure. Good morning. Hello, good morning. What a lovely, lovely dog. Oh, this what is, Molly. is he, Molly? What's Molly? Molly is a golden retriever. Oh, really? Oh, a yeah. Long retriever. Oh, long. She's, uh, she's Don't to see too actually. many of them. We've met you. We here have. Before. I thought I've yes. golden retriever. I thought I haven't yes. met a golden. Yeah. She's yeah. A, she's, a great, she's ten now. Yeah. Ten. Wow. Ten October, have you had her from the start? No, she was, eighteen months old. Yeah, she was a year and a half when we got her, and she was with a lady who got MS and ended up in a wheelchair and couldn't cope with oh, her. She was yeah. jumping a lot. Oh, yeah. So she was uh, put out, fostered out to a family that we knew and we fell in love with her. And I'm terrified of dogs. So I just thought this is a way not to pass the fear on to the kids. Yeah. So. Well, Molly doesn't look like... Molly looks as if she'd be great with kids. She's, She's gorgeous. She's a very plastic She really dog. is. She's lovely with adults too. We had uh, friends of ours in the house last night and she wouldn't leave Frank's side. Yeah. Just sat there staring at him till he played with her. Yeah. It's lovely. This uh, guy is a little like that too. He won't... Yeah. Um, you fostered him as well, uh, didn't you? We, uh, we um, had him from a rescue um, place yeah. in Man Point. Yeah. 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 Gorgeous dog. But oh. he just wants uh, company. Isn't that yeah. lovely? Yeah. The trouble, that's wonderful, except that he can't be left in the house for... Oh, really? Well, he barks a lot when he's left oh, behind yeah. by himself, you know? Yeah. yeah. I hope he'll grow out of it. Janet's dog, Oscar, is like yeah. that, and yeah. he looks similar. Very similar, what's, yeah. what's he, hon? Is he I a, can't remember. A okay. But does Janet's dog, uh, has Janet's 
dog he's been barking for a long time. He's still barks. Oh, he's for years. Barked. Oh, years. He years. was a rescue as well. He was abandoned. They just happened upon him on a road yeah, and he was really wow. emaciated and he was oh, all injured. Oh, my goodness. And they brought him back and yeah. it was, that was before they had kids. And uh, But he barks all the time and he's got company and he's outside during the day and they get complaints from neighbours and yeah. it's caused a lot of grief uh, yeah, but he's, yeah, he's getting yeah. old now so they're coming yeah. to the end. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Oh, God, what are you great. reading? Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit. Gorgeous. Stunning book, really. Wow. Um, so you love walking? I do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did great you do the Camino? No, I'm not one of those people who can yeah. say, oh, I've done all these various yeah. walks. Yeah. No, in fact, he has got me out walking Lovely. more than ever before, yeah. you know. Are you a Camino person? Paul has done I've just done, I've done it for my dad through just a week. Yeah. Great. And we're talking about doing it with the kids because they, yeah. in two years' time, they'll have three months off together from state exams and we're kind of thinking of doing it then. Yeah. We'll see. Did you do the last 100 no, or something I like that? No, no, well, yeah, it was just before that, just to slot in with my dad. I could only go for a week. Yeah. We did it, um, I suppose I did the, the second last week, I think they'd call it. But it was great. Yeah. It was very sociable and very simple. And you put everything on your back. And, and we walk in Kerry as well. I walk a bit in Kerry, yeah. Ah, we're, right. we're down on the yeah. Everett Peninsula. We have a house in Ballinskelligs. Yeah. Oh, what a place. A lovely and place. Yeah, oh, we spend yeah. the goodness. summers there. Yeah, and, that's uh, it. we got ten weeks this year. So oh, God. What a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. sure, look, it's magic. Yeah. So the views simple, down like. there, yeah. But I yeah. went to the Blaskets. Yeah. Uh, not the Blaskets. I went to uh, Skelligs a oh, many years ago. Yeah. That's what's magic. It's paradise. You know, very simple. Are they still sending boats out there? Is it still yeah, okay? Yeah, it's very busy now. Four licenses. Very um, busy with the and it's Star two, Wars. Yeah. Two hundred quid a trip now. It's all changed. Yeah. yeah. I didn't pay two hundred. Oh, yeah, no. oh no, that was before Star Wars. Star Wars, you see, all the tourists <laughs> come down for Star Wars because they use it as for the last couple of movies. Uh, I know. I've and seen. That's uh, is it two hundred a head? Yes. Unless you're in the know and you know local people. <laughs> Somebody's raking it in. People are paying it. Oh yeah, but sure it's a once in a lifetime. Yeah, there's only guys. 24 licences and they can only go between May and September, right, I think. Yeah, yeah. And only between certain hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, it. I don't know how much it was worth, but it was just, it's one of my, it would be my favourite place yeah. that I've been to in Ireland, really. Yeah. lovely. Um, so, look, it's lovely great, to meet you. Carry on well and we uh, see you again, Enjoy I hope. <laughs> okay, okay, bye-bye, bye-bye. Mm. Now, Louis, they're nice people to meet. You just never know who you will meet. Now, Rebecca, back to you. Mud on your petticoat. Now, where was I? I know that I... Walks are everywhere in pride. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Let's go back to the beginning of this. Yes, uh, let's go back to here. Jane Austen's novels, with their genteel young women in rural circumstances, are also a wonderful index of the use of the walk at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the... end of the 18th century and beginning of the 19th. And none so much as Pride and Prejudice... A tour of Elizabeth Bennet's walks will close our inspection of the circumstances in which William and Dorothy Wordsworth set out for Grasmere 
in December of 1799. And here it should be noted that though Pride and Prejudice was published in 1813, the first version was composed in 1799. Austin was their peer, and she lets glimpse the staid world they walked out on. Walks are everywhere in Pride and Prejudice. The heroine walks on every possible occasion and in every location. And many of the crucial encounters and conversations in the book take place while two characters are walking together. And also, while one of the characters is on a horse, if I remember rightly, meeting meeting Darcy in the wood, I think, the very incidental role of the walks indicates how much a part of the fabric of everyday life walking was for such people as Austen's genteel characters. Throughout the 18th century and into the 19th in England, walking was a particularly feminine pursuit. There, are country, there were country ladies and, of course, fond of the country ladies' amusement, walking wrote Dorothy Wordsworth in a letter in 1792. It was something to do. In the writings of men, we find much about designing and admiring gardens, but it is in the letters and novels of women that we most often find people actually walking in them, perhaps because they address more minute daily life, or perhaps because English women, or rather ladies, had so few other activities open to them. Between social functions, Elizabeth Bennet, the heroine of Pride and Prejudice, reads copiously, writes letters, sews a little, plays the piano passably, and walks. Not long before, after the novel opens, Jane Bennet catches a cold riding to Northfields, the house of her suitor, Mr. Bingley, and her sister Elizabeth walks over to nurse her. Going by foot is in part an act of necessity, since she is, quote, no horsewoman, and only one horse rather than a pair to pull the carriage is available. But the bold verve that makes her so charming a heroine also makes her an avid walker. I do not wish to avoid the walk. The distance is nothing when one has a motive, only three miles. And the walk is the first major demonstration of her unconventionality. Though not going nearly as far as Dorothy Wordsworth, when reprimanded by her aunt, Elizabeth is likewise walking beyond the bounds of propriety for women of her class, and the characters at Miss Bingley's house have much to say about it. The transgression seems to be both that she went out into the world alone and that she turned the idyll of the genteel walk into something utilitarian. Quote, that she should have walked three miles so early in the day, in such dirty weather and by herself, was almost incredible to Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley. And Elizabeth was convinced that they held her in contempt for it. End quote. When she is out of earshot, caring for her sister who has become seriously ill, they expatiate on the mud on her petticoat and her, quote, abominable sort of conceited independence, a most country town indifference to decorum. 
Mr. Bingley, on the other hand, remarks that the unorthodox excursion shows an affection for her sister that's very pleasing, and Mr. Darcy notes that it has brightened her eyes. Soon afterwards, while Jane and Elizabeth are marooned in this worldly house, its inhabitants demonstrate the correct sort of walking within the bounds of both garden shrubbery and society. Miss Bingley is still railing to Mr. Darcy about Elizabeth. Quote, at that moment they were met from another walk by Mrs. Hurst and Elizabeth herself. Mrs. Hurst takes Mr. Darcy's disengaged arm and leaves Elizabeth to walk alone. Mr. Darcy felt their rudeness and immediately said, This walk is not wide enough for our party. We had better go into the avenue. But Elizabeth, who had not the least inclination to remain with them, laughingly answered, No, no, stay where you are. You are charmingly grouped and appear to uncommon advantage. The picturesque would be spoiled by admitting a fourth. Goodbye. Ah, I just love Elizabeth. Fantastic character. Also is Darcy. They have castigated her cross-country walk across the boundaries of decorum. She is mocking their garden propriety by suggesting that they have become part of the garden's array of aesthetic objects. Objects that she can contemplate as impersonally as trees and water. That evening, Miss Bingley strolls about the narrower confines of the drawing room where all the Netherfields characters but Jane are gathered. Her figure, quote, her figure was elegant and she walked well, says Austin. The acuity of idle people about each other's conduct extended to critiques of movement and posture and a person's walk was considered an important part of his or her appearance. When she invites Elizabeth to join her, Mr. Darcy remarks that they... To, yes, when she invites Elizabeth to join her, Mr. Darcy remarks that they walk either to discuss things privately or because, quote, you are conscious that your figures appear to the greatest advantage in walking. Walking can be for display, withdrawal, or both. Let's pause there. The longer this chapter goes on, the longer it dwells on on Pride and Prejudice and the characters in it, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I suppose if I had to name, you know, my top ten books, well, no supposing... Name my top ten books, Pride and Prejudice would be there. I wonder whether George Eliot will appear in this book. I can't remember enough about Middlemarch to remember if there were walks in Middlemarch. But I hope there were. I'd like to hear Rebecca Solnit's take on George Eliot's novel, Middlemarch. Okay, dog. Let's go. Come on. In you get. Good fella. Oh, who's a good fella? Yeah, you are. That's his walk done. And my walk. 
my next walk will be around the kitchen. <coughs> We're about halfway through section four of chapter six. That was from Cork with Love Adventure, sponsored by Nobody. This is your host, Paul Omani, saying I hope it was worth your while listening. Bye for now.